Welcome everyone to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. So, you going to let us in? The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 101, Reunion, is brought to you by Pizza for Six, still better than the Yorks' homemade brie cheese wheel. Pete, so glad to be podcasting Runaways. We were swayed by its panel at New York Comic Con, seeing the first episode then, able to talk more about it now. Excited by this, uh, by this vibrant and, uh, and, and electric show. Our first foray into the Hulu. And uh, Pete, before we dive into anything else, let's talk a little bit about our schedule for podcasting. Not only this, but some other TV in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We will, of course, be continuing the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, that very good Netflix exclusive that just dropped on Friday, November 17th. We'll be bringing you episode 103 tomorrow, Wednesday, November 22nd. If you're listening to this on the Runaways Rundown podcast feed, welcome. If you're listening to this on the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek feed, you're continuing to get geeky goodness. We, of course, have updated that this past weekend with our review of Justice League. So digging deep, not just in the MCU, but also the DCEU for as long as that lasts before corporate upheaval overtakes it. But I digress. Pete, let's let's go back to the MCU for, for a slightly more stable picture. What else will we be podcasting in the future? That, of course, being the mothership, Matt. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returns on Friday, December 1st for its two-part season five premiere. We have seen the first 20 minutes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in space, and you're not going to want to miss it. So we will be bringing you that uh, beginning that Friday, December 1st, along with uh, Runaways as we go here. Well, let's circle on back to Runaways, Pete. Episode 101, Reunion. Tell us what it's all about. So the Runaways recap here. A bus arrives in Los Angeles with teen runaway Destiny looking for a place to stay. She is accosted by a couple of Spanish-speaking men before being saved and offered refuge by representatives of the Church of Gabarim. Six months later, loner Alex Wilder is still mourning his friend Amy after two years as his parents attempt to spur him back to society. Turns out his parents and those of his old group of friends have a Pride Foundation, a volunteer charity organization, meeting that night to discuss building a school. Goth girl Nico Minoru um, goes to deceased sister Amy's room, which her mother has digitally guarded in search of a pair of tights and accidentally breaks a tennis trophy reopening old wounds jock chase stein is terrified of his father victor after earning a c in spanish though he likes to toy with bionic tech at the church of gabarum which marks its followers devotion with odd bracelets carolina dean watches her mother church leader leslie speak to the congregation which her father david ellera started 
Leslie refuses to sign a permission slip for Carolina to go to San Francisco because they have a Vanity Fair article photo shoot that afternoon and their family and church needs a millennial face. Earthy, crunchy helicopter parents, the Yorks, drop their children off at school. Adopted Molly Hernandez doesn't feel well while her sardonic sister Gert gives the parents a hard time. At school, Alex laments the once close group has spiraled out of each other's orbits when they were all friends, including Amy, and wants to have a get-together that night. Alex's dad expresses concern with the big pride meeting, but his wife, tech CEO Catherine, dismisses their interest in their parents' activities. Leslie Dean accesses a secure area of the church where she visits a visibly compromised respirator-wearing individual in a bed whom she tells, tonight, another becomes eternal. Social justice warrior Gert is trying to get a new club off the ground and only needs four members to be recognized by their progressive school with standing desks when Alex approaches his former friends about hanging out that night, not for him, but because of his unresolved grief over Amy. Chase tries to get his Spanish teacher to reconsider his C, and a smitten Gert suggests she tutor him, though Chase's friends have plans to party that night. Carolina is cyber bullied about being hashtag brainwashed instead of hashtag blessed into the bathroom with an also emotional but equally in denial Nico. It's there they talk about the needlessness of hiding behind appearances, be they gothic makeup or smiles. Alex confesses to an earbudded Nico he misses her, only the music wasn't on. Cheerleader tryouts awaken something within Molly, who is sent to the nurse's office, where her eyes glow and she bends metal with her bare hands. At the photo shoot, Carolina talks about uh, the seeming symbolism behind her bracelet, which she has never taken off. A once disobedient destiny tells Carolina how lucky she is to have her mother but all Carolina wants to talk about is being rebellious. Alone at home, Molly tests her strength and moves a Volkswagen van. That night, the parents get together at the pride meeting. Victor, too busy to notice his wife, which Robert uh, Minoru does. The Yorkses are clearly the odd couple, but Leslie affirms everyone's there for a reason. They toast to pride, surpassing its fundraising goals in record time. Alex arrives home alone and announces he will eat six pizzas. Nico's parents explain she's never been the same on what the others acknowledge must be a difficult night. Gert awaits Chase, who stands her up to go to the party, where an uninhibited Carolina, who removes her bracelet, sees a kaleidoscope of colors and passes out before Chase's dude bros attempt to sexually assault her, which he interrupts, placing her mysterious bracelet back on, which also glows briefly. They get in a car and she tosses the pill she never took. Gert gets Molly to go to the basement and feed their pets, which include a dinosaur, which causes Molly to rip a door from its hinges when she runs away, 
Spooked, she calls Gert to come get her. On the beach, Nico builds a bonfire but is unable to work her magic. All the kids end up at Alex's house. All the kids end up at Alex's house. Chase blames Alex for not going to Amy's funeral. Nico thanks Alex for organizing the get-together. Parents gone and purses strangely left. The teens raid the liquor cabinet before Alex's reach for a coaster reveals a secret passageway, which leads to them witnessing a ritual behind a shimmering barrier of some sort. Clad in a white robe to contrast the pride's crimson, Destiny is made to drink from a ceremonial goblet before she's placed in the glowing interior of a pod. Molly's camera flash alerts the parents they've been seen, but not by whom. Pete thus concludes certainly this high-energy pilot where the number one job was to pull you into the world uh, of these high schoolers to remind us whether we are in high school or, or barely past it or even a bit more uh, than that, to remind us what it was like, then layer on the powers, then layer on elements of the MCU, then layer on this this um, wonderful exploration that the story does where it goes back to that age-old thing. Parents are the worst, man. And we see that here where literally these are some of the worst <laughs> parents you've ever seen. I really appreciate it. It was something I came in with, you know, lukewarm interest and we were going to check it out because we have listeners who are very passionate about this property and this pilot won me over. Um, And I particularly appreciate the performance put in by these teens. This could be, you know, I am the, uh, uh, the jock guy here, you know, doing the thing, but I, but I bought the performance. I, I particularly like, um, the performance put forth by all the young ladies in, in this ensemble, very, very believable and heartfelt in terms of their performances. And Alex, you can't help but feel for him with what he's going through and really kind of as the non-powered to this point, uh, you know, uh, Leader, captain, however you want to anoint him, um, really carries across that charisma there. So I, I think they've got a great group. We got to see them up close at New York Comic Con. I think the show's in great hands with the showrunners from the OC. And I think it shows in as eventful a pilot as this is. Well, you mentioned kind of some of these stereotypes, the high school stereotypes that this episode initially deals in you know the jock the 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 girl power type so on and so forth the 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 one with uh, deep religious convictions and so forth it really does a nice job not only demonstrating alex and nico and the rest as as individuals that fit into to some of those uh, those high school patterns but also it really does a great job of giving you just enough for you say yes i can understand how once upon a time there was a connection between all of them before this this uh, shared tragedy that they all experienced and um you, you buy that there was this time kind of before the the codification of some of those high school tropes where they you know they were they were friends then then life pressure w- w- with the loss of one of them and just kind of social pressure of those different social groups really uh, really didn't did a number on them 
it's a compelling mystery what happened to Amy, and we'll talk about that with some theories in a little bit. But you hit the nail on the head, and I even appreciate that they go the teen soap opera-ish route of, okay, well, this one likes this one, but this one likes this one, but it's not what you think. And there's you know some potential coupling there. But at the heart, this is a story – this is a coming-of-age story with kids, some of them who, who present or possess – uh, superpowers or abilities, uh, and all of their parents culpable in at least what appears to be a capital crime. Yeah. The notion parents are the villains. Uh, that's one of the first things I heard about the, uh, the, uh, graphic novel release. I don't think I ever read it in, uh, in single issues, but the notion that surprise, surprise, parents are as bad as advertised parents are as bad as you thought they were. In fact, they're even worse. Um, it's it's such a it's such a killer concept, no pun intended. It's such a great great concept and a way to really pull us into in, into this world of superpowers and and uh, powers that are emerging. They showed us a little clip of Brian K. Vaughn uh, that they had uh, filmed just for the uh, people to see at New York Comic Con, and they talked how much. Los Angeles, how important this is to have been set in Los Angeles and the first Marvel show set in Los Angeles and how that's such a part of this, even with the exclusive uh, high school and everything like that. So I, I really appreciated how that came off, too. And not pretentious in the way that you might think. I mean, yes, you, you've got the, the cultish church and, you know, that aspect. But at the same time, we have an adopted child with uh, a family that, you know, they're, they're well-to-do enough to live in the neighborhood and send them to the school. But we don't get the idea they have super mega bucks. There, there seems beyond the gender and the racial diversity, there seems diversity from a socioeconomic background. Pete, let's talk about some of the villainous aspects that we see in the episode, and we've barely settled into the show in its opening moments where we see uh, the person we will learn is Destiny on the run, and uh, kind of the, uh, you know, the, the villainous overtones from from the Church of Gaborim, this idea that, um, that this, this, this tidy group has a lot more behind it than we might think. Hand of the writer, albeit in a different language, but when the one Spanish gentleman says to the other that she would have been better off with them, that's when you know things are bad. Uh, clearly, this group, and when I say the group, the people at the, the top of it, of course, not the, the sheeple, Matt, um, are up to something, and we see this person that they're, uh, they're they're trying to make better, bring back service. It's not quite clear. We'll talk about that next segment. But uh, they're up to some no good. And the bracelets, we see that the bracelet has something to do with Carolina's powers. What about the, all these other people wearing these? Are these tracking devices? Are they listening devices? Are they both? Are they neither? Um the idea of church bling is not a new one. Uh, Matt wears a uh, spoiler pure ring to signify to other <laughs> people who will not have spoilers until they're in a committed story relationship. Um, we all but, meet outside outside <laughs> the movie theater waiting for the previews to finish. And, and we, we stand in a circle and, and we kind of 
hum off tune in order to in order it's, to it's true all of it he's not made a word of it up um but you know i i dig again the metaphor you know we're in such a hashtag blessed age of tv matt where the metaphor that we're dealing with to the point where we we break down the metaphor on on our final in humans podcast and get a scathing itunes review that we got political it's a political metaphor. Um, Wait, Pete, are you saying that this church somehow could be a metaphor for groups that put an outward charitable face? Uh, meanwhile, they are they are corrupt on the inside and exist only for their for their own means. Th- that could be a metaphor for groups that do that. It absolutely could, and and we know that we write what we know and we write what we see in the real world and then we make it our own. So while there's no church of Gabron that puts uh, bracelets on people as, as I mean, take the simple symbolism that these are like shackles and consider that for a moment. Um, it could, could have been nose rings, you know, more fashionable, but there you go. But that, that they go around your wrists, just, just let that one sink in and, and what that could all mean, uh, particularly in our day and age. So, um, you know, this van full of people and destiny gets thrown in there and we pass six months and, you know, suddenly it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, clearly it's not just because, uh, Leslie Dean is a wonderful philanthropic person. There's something else going on. Well, let's stick with Leslie Dean for a moment. I think the biggest uh, villainous story flags come from her. And we really get this notion from Leslie that she's putting not just the church, which I think would be a a, um, a, a rather passive notion, putting the church ahead of her own desires or trying to, to model to her daughter for her daughter to put the needs of the church ahead of individual ones. But you really get a sense with this with this photo shoot that it's it's the display of this church it's the ostentatiousness it's the pr and they're running this pr uh, business of sorts or, or, or they're trying to maximize the pr effort uh for the church of gaborum and, with leslie at the top and and with her daughter carolina as this showpiece you know sorry you can't exist in your normal high school experience you can't enjoy that by taking the uh the eight hour trip to to san francisco because we need to take pictures for uh what was the publication pete vanity fair for vanity fair you know it's the vanity fair photo shoot you have to you have to you have to do that instead of be a kid yeah and when uh Leibowitz isn't even involved i mean come on you know you're not even getting their their a-league person but yeah, let's let's let the kid be a kid and and not be a prop for your church. And I'm not railing against churches using people to promote good deeds and to promote being good people. That's not what I'm railing against. We know that there's an ulterior motive here in that there's an ostentatious bedroom where there is somebody, we don't know who, wearing all this medical high-end tech that this is clearly done in service to, in worship of, both, who knows. But it's definitely nefarious, as gentle as Leslie even comes off with the public and with this person. 
Let's uh, move on now to to Victor Stein, played by the uh, by the ever enjoyable James Marsters. Um, Pete, barely a day has gone by since since he was playing a vampire on the CW <laughs> and the WB. Um, and here he is kind of back back as a baddie, but back as someone who is so uh, charismatic as uh, as Victor Stein. Yeah, and he doesn't say a lot in this pilot. It's really the work he does outside of it. You know, one of the one of the things he does say, he tells his son, you know, if, if you were really scared of me, you wouldn't get a C. Um, but in this power role, the, the more demonstrative power to, to Leslie's kind of passive smile in your face power um, really makes you fear what it is he will present to the group as far as a villain. I really enjoy kind of the, um, the, the dual sided face that we get of Victor in this episode. As you said, not with a ton of screen time, the notion that he is this tough and distant dad but then also hard on himself for not being tougher or not expecting more out of his, out of his child. That I think that obviously comes off with us at this default position as you know, we identify with the runaways, we identify with the audience, we identify or, or we had the audience identifies with them and we are sympathetic to their view where parents just don't understand. Um, I think there is the flip side where you say, well, well, Victor, should be pushing uh, Chase at this point um, and, and should be asking more and more uh, of Chase. But just the way it comes off with, with Marsters there, something is not right. And of course we find out as the episode ends that a lot is not right. Let's move on to some theories, Matt. First one more on the lines, I think of an Easter egg, but when we're on the bus headed to Los Angeles at the very beginning of the episode, we see somebody reading Journey to the Center of the Earth. Do you make anything of that? Pete, if we are not in some sort of subterranean lair by the end of the second episode, then this has all been for naught. No, I think it's a fun, I mean, it's a fun uh, addition. Certainly the notion of uh, coming in contact with creatures is something that uh, is echoed by, uh, by this first episode. Uh, to me, do I expect it to serve as a template for where the story is headed? Not really, uh, other than, of course, you know, we're off into uh, unfamiliar territory and, and new adventures as these episodes continue. How about the person who is in the bed with the respirator, Matt? I'm going to give you a couple possibilities. Let's start with the one we've discussed because I've, I've got a new one we haven't. Ooh. Is that Amy? Uh, it's mentioned that uh, it was a difficult night for the parents. Could it be difficult, the idea that they would take Destiny's life, her skin, whatever they're taking from her to nourish this person? We don't know how uh, Amy died. Did she get sick and waste away? Did they fake the, the pride, uh, her death to, um, to get her there? We know that... Uh, Alex didn't attend the funeral. Could that in some way have been connected with this? Is Amy the one um, who is with the respirator in the bed? I think that certainly is the best theory at this point. 
uh, we always have this discussion of what is the what is the makeup of of a given writing room. How how uh, oriented is a particular writing room towards twists and turns or a slightly more straightaway position? Uh, I think we're still getting to know this writing room and how closely they are they are uh, going to the the Brian K. Vaughan uh, storyline or not. Uh, we must always be mindful that that you know they may they may uh, turn when the the uh, source might twist. Uh, that said, my take from this episode, regardless of what the writing room is like and what Vaughn's story was like and so on and so forth, my feeling is we're setting up some, you know, so, some reopening of the wound of Amy's loss to say she isn't lost. There she is, which is as good as lost. And can we bring her back? And at what cost and things like that it's, it's a rich story ground for it to be Amy. Was Amy sacrificed? Well, that's that's a tough question. Certainly, does the pride need to prove themselves to each other to such a degree? Something tells me no. Something tells me that when you're when you're management, you don't sacrifice one of your own. You sacrifice somebody lower down the food chain. That said, clearly they have an extraordinary commitment to this group, and um, do they? You know, do they? need to show that from time to time by by offering up one of one of themselves it's possible different possibility here of who's wearing the respirator leslie mentions her father uh carolina's grandfather um had started the church david ellera is that him with the respirator that's not a bad theory but i think you always need to look for story trajectory coming out of such a reveal grandpa who was dead now is back uh okay that's not bad uh but again one of the runaways themselves offered up perhaps um certainly thought dead and and, and the source of fracturing this group now uh someone around which they can come back together i'm still sticking with that Chase likes to draw, and it seems that he also plays around with technology here. He shows where Alex sees the uh, hand blasters, the bionics there. How soon are we going to see some kind of tech on Chase, who doesn't seem to be exhibiting any kind of powers at this point? Well, I know the desire of, uh, of the TV production was to make Chase a little bit more layered than he was in the comics. Uh, given that we've seen his proclivity for tech, I really have to imagine, and knowing a little bit about the the uh, the comics, nonetheless, um, I, I think we'll see tech before too long. How about uh, Carolina with the bracelet and what I call wavy space arms? It'll be interesting to see where they go with the bracelet. I think it's a really great observation that it's like a shackle. I think the um, the the initial reaction beyond kind of the metaphorical take is that it is some sort of tracker um i dare say it would be a missed story opportunity if it uh if it was just a regular regular old bracelet meant to passively remind members of the church to to stay on the goodly path um i i would say certainly look for more coming from the bracelet uh as these episodes unfold Molly's eyes light up when she's around the dinosaur, almost like she sets some kind of threat. What'd you make of that? Well, Pete, the comic 
character of that dinosaur of old lace certainly an iconic and enjoyable one um based on this episode though you can only conclude that there is that uh, there's that connection there and uh certainly a spooky and scary effect as her eyes uh, as her eyes were, uh, were were lighting up like that and lastly as i mentioned before alex did not attend amy's funeral what do you make of that i just look at that as um kind of story a a story element i'm not going to read into it some great theory i think it just feeds into alex as this as this uh, sensitive sympathetic character someone who you know couldn't bring himself at his young age to uh to go to the funeral of a uh of, of a deceased friend um that's that that's my take on it that it's just a reflection of him as a character and nothing too nebulous beyond that Well, Matt, there are a group of people who don't need to worry if they should ever die. And we certainly hope that'll never happen, whether we will show up because we have their back as they have ours on Patreon. Uh, Everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content. And then there's all sorts of levels that you might contribute at. So thank you for even considering it. And uh, check out patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word, today. As we start our run with the Runaways, we are so appreciative to have our crew from patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek helping us out. And indeed, Pete, it's a busy time. We have Runaways, we have Punisher, we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming. What's next for those listening on? Let's start with let's start with the Runaways rundown feed, Pete. When next will they hear from us? We are looking to drop episode 102 on Friday, November 24th. And then if you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, am I correct in saying we have some Punisher before that? We will. We will be hitting Punisher 103 tomorrow. That's uh, Wednesday, November 22nd. Well, Pete, all of that goodness is coming along in the future, but now the moment has come to give away some goodness right now. The exclusive uh, Thor Ragnarok Funko Pop, which you uh, were able to get at New York Comic Con in your special line. The time has come to give that away, Pete. <laughs> yes, and uh, reaching into the old bowl of people who left iTunes reviews to make themselves eligible to this, uh, I have pulled out, that would be Dr. Bob K, who comes away with a miniature likeness of Jeff Goldblum. So Dr. Bob K, please get in touch with us and we will mail this on off to you. More to come real soon. Just remember, everybody who leaves an iTunes review winds up in the hopper. So may want to get on that early. Absolutely. Always, uh, always looking to give more goodies away. Pete, the best goodie of all is being able to be in touch with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E. T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R 9,638 followers. Can't be wrong. While I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Visit FantasticGeek.com. Email FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH, like it today. 
Pete, as mentioned, the Runways podcast will be back on Friday. The Punisher podcast will be back before that. And, of course, the Mothership Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be hitting that feed and uh, our Pop Culture podcast feed in, oh, about 10 days' time. It's getting ever closer and closer. With that, Pete, I will say adios hermanos to all our listeners and give you the final word. Light fills a dark room. And this girl's hand was steadily moving up my thigh She had opened up three buttons on her shirt so far I guess that's why I didn't notice that police car We're doing 90 in my mom's new Porsche And to make this long story short, short When the cop pulled me over, I was scared as hell I said I don't have a license, but I drive very well, officer I almost had a heart attack that day Come to find out the girl was a 12-year-old runaway I was arrested, the car was impounded had to come off a vacation to get me i'd rather be in jail than to have my father hit me my parents walked through and i got my grip i said uh mom dad how was your trip they didn't speak i said i want to plead my case but my father just shoved me in the car on my face that was a hard ride home i don't know how i survived it they took turns one would beat me while the other one was driving i can't believe it i just made a mistake well parents are the same no matter time no place so to you other kids all across the world Take it from me, parents just don't understand.